there are more empaths running around than ever. And I honestly think that's a huge part of our human evolution is that we have to become empathic. Otherwise we're in survival mode and it's me, me, me. You're listening to Wild Creative, a podcast designed to inspire creative thought, enhance your artistic process, and excavate enriched understandings about art, culture, and yourself. I'm your host, Emma Kivetna, a creativity coach, artist, entrepreneur, and Sagittarius. I am joining you today from the traditional territories of the Mi'kmaq people in Nova Scotia, Canada. Without further ado, let's explore the wild creative. Welcome to today's episode. Our guest today is someone very special because she blends together health and creativity, which is a crossover that I haven't really thought about a whole lot and certainly haven't talked about yet on this podcast. So I'm really looking forward to sharing this episode with you. Our guest today is Holly Blazina. She is an Ayurvedic gut health specialist, yogini, author and flamenco guitarist who found her kryptonite in chronic fatigue, candida, food sensitivities, and insomnia. She spent nearly 25 years figuring out how to get her life back and now mines that experience to help her clients get rapid results. Now she's a creative powerhouse and healer in her 50s with energy to burn. Holly solves bloating, heartburn, and IBS with her unique gutsy type method. You can transform the emotions behind your digestive struggles with her simple but comprehensive program, one-to-one consultations, and Gutsy Yoga, her online membership program. Throughout our talk today, we covered an array of topics dealing with gut health, everything from intuitive eating to how emotion and intuition are connected to your health, and we even talked about her career as a flamenco guitarist, among other things. This was a very interesting episode to record because a lot of it was out of my range of knowledge. As I said before, I haven't really ever explored the crossover between creativity and health and emotions and that sort of thing. So it was a real treat to get to interview Holly. Before we get into the interview, I just want to mention briefly that I'm sorry for the scratchiness of my audio during the interview. I think the headphones, which have a built-in mic that I was using, are just getting too old and I was unable to get rid of the scratchiness in editing, so sorry about that. Luckily, Holly does most of the talking and her audio is clear. I also want to mention that the workshop Holly mentions at the end of the episode will be over by the time I have this episode posted thanks to Hurricane Fiona, which came through my area and took out my internet. But Holly does offer the workshop year-round, and there is another offer she has later this fall, which she mentions towards the end of the episode. Holly joined me on Zoom from her home in Alberta. All right. Hello, Holly. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hello, Emma. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. No problem. I'm kind of excited for this one because it's I think we're going to cover a lot of topics in terms of creativity plus health like Mm -hmm. body health 
-hmm. I know that's what you're all about. So I'm interested, I'm very interested to see kind of what we're going to talk about here. So I did want to start off by asking you, um, because I'm curious of what, what did you do before you were a gut health specialist? Or like was health and wellness always that industry that you were working in? So I, I would say that, I mean, obviously, it's not obvious at all, but <laughs> I was, um, I, I was a, a musician. That was my first, my first, uh, my first love. I got my first guitar when I was eight. And um, so I'm, I'm classically trained in class, I, in classical guitar performance, but my, my vision was always to do flamenco and where I lived, there was no way to do flamenco when I was young. So I thought, well, I'll start with classical because it's kind of close and then we'll see what happens. And so I ended up, my first business actually was uh, that I started my own teaching studio and I was producing and, you know, performing in my own concerts. And I ultimately became a composer and recording artist. And oh, wow, I had no idea. <laughs> like, I, kn I know you're a flamenco, flamenco guitarist, which I definitely want to ask you about later. But I had no idea that it was like such a big part of your life before the, the gut health. Mm -hmm, mm hmm. In fact, this is a nice segue into the gut health because I, I was already having problems with my gut, you know, in my in my late teens and early 20s. I, I was quite sick when I was 17. And that's it's something that just kind of transferred over. But what's remarkable is that I, I mean, I, I did a lot of work to get better. But then once I started studying flamenco, I just like it was like a switch that flipped. And it really, really made a big difference to my health, actually. Oh, the really? Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who would have? Who would have thought? <laughs> oh well, I mean, how we move our energy is I what's guess going that's on. True. Right? That just shows you how disembodied I am. <laughs> I I don't think you are. No, you're not. I think in in my own case, it was. I I would say that I. I mean, I was depressed. Yeah along with the candida. And it was a thing that like, it was such a huge part of my healing that I would wake up every morning and have something where I was really stoked to do it. Like literally my first thought every time I would wake up would be, okay, what does my day look like? And when am I going to practice rather than, oh man, I have all this stuff to do. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. so movement is a big thing for you. Cause I know, I know you do yoga as well. And I feel like you're pretty active. I am pretty active. Yeah. And so the yoga was a huge piece of the healing also. And, um, and yeah, the yoga was actually a huge thing that helped me to get my energy to the point where, like, I knew I was getting better when I could sleep for 10 hours a night and feel rested. Right. Absolutely. So, so let's talk about the gutsy type method then. So how did that come about? And can you kind of describe it in a nutshell? I know it's a very in-depth, uh, detailed kind of method and system, but if you had to condense it. Yeah, well, let, let me start with this. So sure. it's it's based in the Ayurvedic system. And Ayurveda is like the, the diet, lifestyle, naturopathic system that came up. It was developed alongside yoga in ancient India. So it's basically, and, and the two of them very much work in tandem. And so nowadays we have all kinds of systems that promise enlightenment. I mean, we here in the West, we think that yoga is all about exercise, but it's actually like there's the meditation that goes along with it. And there's all the enlightenment that goes along with it. But the Ayurvedic system was put in place because 
we actually can either only reach a certain level of our awakening when the body is not coming along with it. And so it can, the body can be a hindrance. And the other piece of it is that if the enlightenment progresses too quickly, it can actually burn out the body. Mm, and so those two things, yeah, right. It's so <laughs> important to know, right. Yeah. And, and I mean, we see this in our society now, there's all these people that are, I mean, there's so many of us trying to do these and, and for myself too, I experienced it. So you, you kind of have to like pace yourself almost. Well, it's, it's like you have to, you have to bring it's, it's like, you have to, yeah, you have to bring it up in balance. Exactly. And so one of the things that I experienced right away, almost like within the first year of studying flamenco and even beforehand, when I was studying classical guitar, you know, it's just like my body was not actually up to the task. And so the yoga, the yoga, like I wouldn't, when I went to physio after my first year of playing flamenco and was sidelined with an injury, the physio said to me, well, if, if you don't uh, keep doing yoga, she found out that I did yoga. She said, if you don't keep that up, you're going to, um, she said, your playing career is not going to last. So I decided to go study yoga and get the tools. And in the process of studying yoga, of course, I found out about Ayurveda. I heard about that. And I was just like, ooh, types, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, that's always fun. <laughs> yeah. And so then as, as I, and it took many years, it actually took decades for me to kind of integrate all this stuff and use it in my own body. And so I did the yoga, yoga certification. Then I started studying Ayurveda. And so then in studying Ayurveda, one of the natural things that I found myself just gravitating to all the time is like, how do the foods work and how does the gut work? And was just a like one of those natural inquiries and one of the cool things about the understanding i mean the, these systems how did they even come about well it was all intuitive right so when we're in a meditative state we can ask about anything and we know what the answer is so when wherever our natural curiosity takes us you know and especially the more in balance that we get where our natural curiosity takes us, we can know the answer to anything. This is reminding me more recently during this year of starting to think about how the body and your intuition are kind of the same thing. Yes. Right? Like listening to your body is kind of listening to your intuition. Like when we get that gut instinct, it's called that for a reason, I feel like. Absolutely. Or in your head or chest or you feel something, your body reacts to it, which is um, outside of your like, thinking mind absolutely the body's of is a delicious tool actually to get out of the thinking mind and to go what's my reality right now and so uh one of the one of the pieces that i bring into my method is intuitive eating but i don't do it at the beginning and the reason why i don't do it at the very beginning is because when people's symptoms are really high and when people's cravings are really high it's skewed and cravings are actually attachment. And so we can, we can, and, and this is like, it's whether we're talking about food or whether we're talking about, you know, whatever we want in life, like, oh, I want to watch another movie, <laughs> you know, that attachment is not intuitive guidance, right? That's, it's insecurity kind of, I guess. Well, yeah. Some, it's something else. Yeah, it is something <laughs> else. Yeah. And, and that's a sign. Like, so one of the things that we say in the system is that when we're in balance, we crave things that make us more in balance. In other words, we're intuitive about what's going to make us more in balance. When we're out of balance, we crave things that make us more out of balance. 
Mm -hmm. like attracts like indeed it does yes indeed it does and so yeah so the system is the the ayurvedic system has got three basic constitutional types and if you would do like an ayurvedic quiz for example there might be two or three questions on there about digestion and we know that when we're speaking to people who maybe are having trouble, you know, the, if those symptoms that are kind of like, well, you have to go a few layers deeper into the system to say, well, what happens if I have bloating and gas? What happens if I have heartburn? What happens if I am carrying extra weight? Well, those things are actually related to the constitutional types. And so I bring those aspects into the quiz and it doesn't mean, I mean, we can, we're all a combination of all the types. We're all our own unique combination of them, but it's just, some of them are going to show up more prominently than others. And so in creating the quiz that I've created, I I bring in those symptoms that a lot of times you don't get to until later on in your Ayurvedic understanding, if you were to take a quiz. Right. And there's four types. There's three. There's three types. Right. But they're related to the five elements. So it's, it's actually, okay, right. Interestingly, it's very scientific. I, I know I did the quiz a long time ago um, and I cannot remember what I got for it, unfortunately, but I know we talked about it after too. And I remember you talking about how one of them is more in fire or it's more of a fiery. Yeah. Um, so fire is one of the elements. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and actually, this is a this is a this is a great way to describe it too, right? So thinking about the one that relates to the fire element, when it's out of balance, well, I'll say it this way, when it's in balance, it's passionate, and it's insightful. And there's like this burning enthusiasm. And when it's out of balance, it's raging, and it's angry, and it's inflamed. And it's got all it's like, it's like, acid reflux is part of that right or, or can be part of that that can correspond to so it's it's like there's a shadow side to there each of the is. types and then there's the you know the, the balanced side that's that's most natural form that it's uh you want to be obtaining yeah that's a really good way Which, to describe it yeah i think i'm i'm trying to remember what i got i think i had got pitta I think, well, yeah, that because sounds... that's a, that's the fire type. Yeah. So yeah. Pitta, and I think and maybe that's why it's sticking in my head then. Cause... Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think you're a combination of Pitta with some Kapha. Pitta, Kapha. And what's the third one? Vata. Vata. Right. I knew there was a V somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. And so basically everybody's all the types, but one usually more, more, you're more one than the others, but that also changes over time too right it can and one of the things so i mean a person can be a dual type or in my case i'm tridoshic which is i'm all three in approximately equal quantities and so that corresponds to me being a delicate flower when i'm out of balance (laughs) and indestructible when i'm in balance got it oh that makes i yeah i get it now yeah (laughs) i'm getting how like how they work in relation to each other yeah Mm -hmm. okay cool Mm -hmm. and that's like people can find that out by taking the quiz um which you have yeah i can put the link for that in the show notes of course yeah of course and if people just if they're just listening then it's just gutsytypequiz.com gutsytypequiz.com perfect we'll put it in the show notes too yes all the all the links will be in the show notes for for everything so I really want to talk more about the, uh, get back to talking about the emotions and the intuition that we were talking about earlier, like eating intuitively. What would be some advice for doing that? Uh, even though I know it's not that simple, <laughs> like what, when it comes to eating intuitively, because I know there's probably pre-work you have to there, do. There is, yeah, there's pre-work that you have to do in order to eat intuitively, I think. I mean, 
I, from what I understand, and I haven't necessarily dived into other intuitive eating methods, my understanding of it, and, you know, any listeners that are, you know, avid intuitive eaters, forgive me if I, if I misstep here, but in the beginning, if we, and, and I know for sure myself, when I had candida and chronic fatigue and all of that, it didn't matter whether I ate sugar or not. I craved it constantly. And it, I knew that it made me feel bad. I mean, one of the things I've heard with the intuitive eating thing is like, oh, well, if you eat a whole, if you feel like eating a whole bucket of ice cream, go ahead and eat it all and notice how you feel afterward. And, you know, I mean, probably sit down and eat it mindfully. Um, and, and for sure, that's, that's a big thing, right? If you, if you sit down and eat when you're not paying attention. So actually, this is a great point. If you, if you want to just adore in to eating intuitively right out of the gate, when you sit down to eat, just eat. Don't do anything else. Mm. Don't turn on your phone. Don't watch Netflix. Don't yeah. talk. You know exactly. Yeah, because then you're not connected Scroll. anymore. Totally. I'm so guilty of of doing that. Oh, me too. <laughs> me too. And it's it's yeah. It's something that I'm constantly working on. And at the same time, I like I'm I'm working on it. It's like it's part of our world, actually. All of this digital. Everything. It's hard. It's hard not to because everything's always in your face so much, and your phone's going off or. You want to look at, yeah. you want to zone out the, the temptation to zone out constantly yes. by going online is so it's always so apparent, at least to me, I, like it's always seems to be a thing that I seek out. I guess it's a craving in a sense. I was um, going to say, it's one of those things that when we're out of balance, when our, when our relationship to digital, everything is out of balance, then we do more of it. Interesting, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> so, so notice noticing, I guess, when you're craving, or, yeah, craving those things, um, and then realizing or translating that as an out of balance act. Yes, basically. Yes, yeah. And and so one of the things that I I like to introduce to people early on in my program is is the idea of getting those things into balance straight away, like making sure that the first and last hour of every day is screen free. You know, for example, making sure that you're not eating with screens, making sure that, um, and like I said, I mean, it's a practice. It's, a, I mean, I, I'm, I, I would say I'm really good with the first and last hour of every day. I'm really good with, you know, at least one, often two meals of the day. But when I get to that third meal, a lot of times I feel like, oh, I just, I'll just watch some YouTube. Or like, yeah. And, or like, and yeah. ironically, that's at the end of the day when I've been on screens all day. Oh, that's interesting too, because you you would think you'd want to get away from the screens. You would think. So this makes me think of earlier this summer. I actually was, I want to, I guess, kind of addicted to my phone in the sense that I would always, without even thinking, like my body would just open my Facebook app or my Instagram app, like automatically. And I would start looking at stuff and constantly, <laughs> I'm sure we can all relate to this, mm -hmm. but um, it just got to a point where I actually ended up deleting all of my social media apps from my phone. I really wanted to delete my accounts, but that was like too dramatic. I was like, no, I can't I actually do need those for, for work and stuff. So, mm. but deleting them from this like device, my phone, I, like the weight that just came off of me after that was crazy and I was like how can such an immaterial thing 
be weighing so heavily. And then the next day I went out to breakfast to the cafe downtown and I just, I didn't, I had my phone with me, but it was now such a useless, irrelevant object because it wasn't pinging at me. There was nothing to check on it, you know? And if so then I was more, I had a notebook and pen and I was writing something down and I was looking around the cafe and just like noticing, oh yeah, I'm, I'm alive in the space right now. <laughs> There's things happening. I'm eating. And yeah, it was just like so freeing. So if anybody's listening, who's feeling <laughs> sick of their social media or wants a break, I definitely recommend deleting them just from your phone. You don't have to go crazy and delete the whole account, but I don't know that that really made a difference for me. So I feel like when it comes to eating, I can see how that just goes out the window as well. If you're on your phone eating, you're not going to think about what you're putting into your body or no. what it's doing or anything. Exactly right. not. So exactly not. Yeah. And and I agree with you when I, when I'm, you know, when I, I mean, I like to sit down and do my social media work with intention. And when I do that, I'm sitting at my desk in my office at the computer. Well, that's just it. Now people, if they need to get a hold of me, they have to wait till I'm in the office working and then I'll check my stuff, <laughs> my messages and whatever, which is, makes more sense it's like more of a solid boundary well yes right yes yes yeah because it's hard to put a boundary on something digital because it's not tangible because you can take your phone with you everywhere and then there it is it's pinging at you unless you turn off the notifications completely or delete the app or whatever well exactly and i mean one of the things that we were going to talk about later on is you know being an empath and who needs boundaries more than everyone right now, right? So, so and that's just a connection that I made right now is that, you know, here we are in this, this world where there are more empaths running around than ever. And I honestly think that's a huge part of our human evolution is that we have to become empathic. Otherwise we're in survival mode and it's me, me, me. And at the same time, we're in this time where we have to attend to that. Like we have to be very, very intentional about that. We have to be intentional about how we, you know, like what, what and how we let things in. Yeah. I, I Yeah, exactly. Because everything can so easily get in these days. Yeah. Un unless we have good boundaries, right? So exactly. Yeah. Well, there's more stuff to get into. Everybody wants your attention these days. Ads, yes. people, other, other networking, whatever, whatever it is, or pop culture shows. Yeah. Lots of, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The world has upped the ante for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So in relation to the intuitive eating, I feel like this kind of relates to the emotions behind our digestive system, which was something we kind of talked about off recording before. But I did want to ask you more about that, about how um, transforming the emotions behind your digestive system, it, it, how, how effective that is and how you do that and how does it affect one? What, how does one affect the other? So the emotions... Are, well, okay. So first of all, I want to talk about um, the digestive fire, which in in Ayurveda, it's actually like a like a concept, but it's an actual thing. And our digestive fire is not just for digesting food; it's also for digesting our emotions, our impressions, our experiences, our memories, all of it. And so right away, there's the connection. Is that when people say, "I'm going to eat," when I eat my emotions, that's kind of what they're doing? For example, or even if you think about the way that, I mean, the whole, di the physical digestive process is all about basically taking what's useful and getting rid of, like just releasing the rest, right? So we, we put like an apple into our body and there's all of the things that are digestible and useful, useful, the vitamins, the minerals, all of these things. And then there are these other parts that 
you know, once we, once the body has kind of sorted through all of that and go, okay, this is, I don't need this anymore and gets rid of it. Right. It's exactly the same situation for our emotions. So if you go through a situation, I mean, every single social interaction that we have there, there are useful things about it. And there are things that we don't need from it. Every, you know, every relationship, every, every person we have connection with every single one of our memories. And so it's all about, I mean, and, and one of the modalities that I use is all about retrieving the gifts and releasing the fears, right? And so, and, and so our digestive fire is very, very important for that. So that's, that's thing one. That's a big thing. It is a big thing. Yeah. yeah, it's a huge thing. And it's a thing that we normally don't recognize. And of course, like you said, when we're, when that is, when we're not cognizant of that, a lot of times we can just end up eating things you know, and, and of course, one of the things that, that um, we say in Ayurveda all the time is that like the number one cause, I mean, we, first of all, that if you have gut problems, that it, that's the root of all the problems, but what's the root problem of all the gut problems It's overeating. And, and then think of that into our larger conversation that we've already been having overconsumption, right? So just taking in too many impressions, taking in too many experiences, taking and, and not giving ourselves enough time to digest. Like when you when your mom always said, "Don't chew your food so uh, or slow down and chew your food more so that it it'll digest uh, better." Yeah, exactly. We need to do that in all of life. You know, we need to schedule ourselves a little bit less, for example. So that's one part of it. And then the other part of it is that if we don't do that, then we end up with like if you think of your nervous system, which actually the vagus nerve starts in the brainstem and it goes all the way down through. The, like it lines the gut, it goes through the gut lining and, you know, branches out and, you know, wraps itself around all of the organs and everything. So if we think of our nervous system, I mean, we don't really think of our nervous system as being like a bucket because it doesn't, it's not shaped like a bucket. And yet if your bucket is full, if your emotional, but we all know, like if your emotional bucket is full, every single one of us has had the experience where we're in grief and you just can't eat a single thing or being too anxious to eat. Yes. Being too anxious to eat. Yeah. And so then what can happen is that if our, that residual bucket is too full. And so this is, this was part of why it took me so long and, and why I see some of my clients coming to me where they go, Oh my gosh, I've, I've been on this diet forever. Or I, you know, I eat so well and I'm still not getting better. You know, it's because that emotional bucket is full. So you have to digest your emotions to get the bucket a little more empty. Yeah. And in some cases, like we don't have to digest every single piece of emotional flotsam that has come our way. I mean, it's not, it's not like you, I mean, if you're cleaning out your closet, you don't have to try on every item, you know, and, and, you know, relive all the memories. Like you don't have to do that. You can say, no, this is time for this to go. <laughs> Right. And you can just get rid of it. And the thing that's wonderful about these energetic things is that you don't even always have to know what it is that's leaving. So can you explain that a little further? Yeah, for sure. So a nice example is um, using the breath. So, you know, if you if you're having a stressful day and you sit down at the end of, or say if it's not even maybe stressful or it's just busy and then and you've been feeling a little bit harried and you finally sit down at the end of the day and go, <sighs> like all that stress just left or, or maybe some of the stress just left and we don't know which parts left and which parts stayed, you know, but we don't have to process all of it. We don't have to go and re review every minute detail of what was stressful for us that day. 
We just know that if we sit down and we take a couple of sighs, something leaves and something something, something might stay. And it's not, it doesn't have to be analyzed, at least not right that second. Or ever, in some cases, never. Yeah. I mean, if it, if it does need to be analyzed, it will show up in the body. Or, or if it needs to be felt or processed in some way, it will show up in the body, which doesn't, and when we feel in process, it doesn't mean we have to analyze it necessarily. I'm always bad for that, overanalyzing, overthinking, processing things. That, that's fire. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there you go. That's fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So can I give you an example of how this works? Yeah. Please do. So this can also end up in our belief system. And of course, we're starting to understand we have this, this whole system now we call we call it the body mind, right? So we know that the body and the mind are connected and, you know, our beliefs are embodied. And so I mentioned earlier that I used to crave sugar a lot. And even after I had reclaimed a lot of my health, I still was craving sugar all the time. You know, I was careful with it. I knew I could only have so much, but a lot of times I would have it and then I would crave it again. And so I, I went to apply this process that I've been working on. I was talking about the fears and the gifts earlier. So I applied that process to it. And I discovered that for me, the gift of eating sugar was my grandmother's love. Oh, that's so nice. And, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And so who would want to stop eating sugar? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, my grandmother was this amazing, loving woman. And she gave you lots of sugar. She made cinnamon buns that were the best cinnamon buns on the planet. So this is what is so fascinating because when I, you know, released all of this or like just basically separated those out and I went, oh, my grandmother's love was the cinnamon buns. Like if I don't eat the cinnamon buns, I don't get my grandmother's love anymore. So then I went, oh, okay. You know, hi, hold that up to the light of consciousness and go, okay, that's not actually what's true. I can have my grandmother's love anytime I want without the cinnamon buns. And this isn't a rational process, right? It's, a, it's like a deep healing meditative process. Now what's cool is that I can have my grandmother's love whenever I want and I can have cinnamon buns whenever it serves. Mm -hmm. And they don't have to be correlated. They don't have to be correlated and it, it doesn't lead to this excess craving where there's never enough sugar, you know, because there's always enough love if, if we just get it where we know to get it because the love is not in the sugar. It's not in the cinnamon buns, you know, it's and my grandmother isn't even here anymore. Like the love is in my heart, you know, so I can claim that anytime I want. And, and what's interesting, too, is that. I mean, I, I went through a, a period of time where that was super stressful and I could barely eat anything. And in that time, what could I eat? Cinnamon buns, you know? And it's like when I would have a cinnamon bun, then it would be like, okay, now, now I can actually eat something else. Yeah. So it's like the permission. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it gave me permission to feel whatever I was feeling. And interestingly, I, I wasn't left with a lot of cravings. I mean, I ate cinnamon buns for some good solid weeks and I wasn't left with a lot of cravings. So that's interesting. That's just having that shift, that awareness in the mind. In, in the whole body, like it's basically on every level mm -hmm. on the in the body, mind, in the sub, like in all levels of mind. That's why we can't always just do the work consciously because we can look at the thing and go, well, that's silly. I don't believe that. But somehow underneath, there's the subconscious belief that, oh, if I give up cinnamon buns or if I give up sugar, then I'm going to give up all this love. And there's nothing you can do about that. It's like it's a thing that you have to actually shift on a different plane altogether. Yeah, 
it's a it's yeah you have to unmold it almost it's it's in its yes. shape already and you have to yeah change its shape i guess and yeah exactly yeah. exactly yeah and and i mean meditation it's taking it back into that formless field where everything can just be undone and taken apart and reformed however we decide to reform it if we do it makes me wonder what what am i eating that is some a sign of something else well you'll you'll know because it'll be one of those things that you may have either an insatiable need for it or it'll seem like an insatiable need or it could also be a thing that under certain circumstances it gets triggered you know like if you're emotionally triggered then you're going to want like and so one of the questions i ask my clients a lot of times is like okay so what is what is your guilty pleasure you know, under, under stressful circumstances, what will you turn to that is almost irresistible? And then that tells me a lot about their type. It tells me about how they're out of balance. It tells me a lot about how to get them back into balance. So we did talk about uh, quickly, briefly earlier, the empaths and the intuitives. Um, and I know you mentioned to me before we started talking today, that you're thinking more so of marketing to the demographic of empaths and intuitives and energy healers and energy workers and that sort of thing. Uh, can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. This is, and I, and I love the positioning of this question because we were just talking about all the emotional stuff. And so one of the things that I found was a bit of a struggle was if I would talk to somebody with gut health issues and then say, Oh, you, you know, your emotions are related. I mean, of course I still do that because not everyone in my clients is an empath or an intuitive, you know, but a lot of times they're hyper-focused on the, on the gut issues. And at the same time, what I've noticed is that as I started talking to the empaths and the, the intuitives and saying, so by the way, the gut issues are related to those gifts and how those gifts are, are how you're running the energy of those gifts then all of a sudden I just would see the light bulb go on. Right. Whereas for, for people who weren't that, they would kind of struggle to see the connection. Sometimes they would, and they'd say, well, but I still need to know which foods to eat. Right. And, and, and it's not that you don't need to know which foods to eat. I mean, again, it's, it's like there's that there's more to it. There is, there is more to it. Yes. And there's this whole thing about the vagus nerve going through the digestive tract. I mean, that's, that's part of it. And at the same time, it's another whole bag of tricks in a way I've noticed with the impasse and intuitives. I mean, I've spoken with people who their gut was in perfect working order before the pandemic and now it's not. And in some cases, those people didn't get the virus. In some cases, it's just the energy of everything that they're running through their system now. And one of the things that I've seen with those folks too, is that, I mean, those, those gifts, they, they fall under the category of Vata. So Vata is the quality of air and ether. So when we spend our, our time and our focus is all in these, these, this upper like ethereal realms, a lot of times it can be very easy to, to forget about the body. It can actually be tough to ground back in. So it's a bit easier to, for those types of people and paths to, to see the importance of. It's important. Yeah, they can see the importance of it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And nobody's going to see the importance of working on their gut health more than somebody who's really struggling with it. But what's good about the empaths, here's what I love about the empaths and the intuitives and the creatives. And there are already so many of them on that path of personal growth. When I work with people with their gut, it is it's like, it's not just about, oh, put, eat these foods and then you're going to feel better. The whole thing is all about personal growth. And so as your whole life functions better, your gut is going to function better. As your gut functions 
functions better, your whole life is going to function better. Yeah, I, I think that that's a theme I've kind of noticed more and more as as I age, I guess, <laughs> um, is that I feel like there's a lot of systems and rules and things in life for people who are try who try to simplify human behavior and humans in general, when really there's we're not simple, like at all. No. Like we're very complex. Everything about us is complex. Everything, the way everything relates to one uh, one another is complex. Um, and it just, there's no getting away from that. And so when you have systems like kind of like yours, like, um, the, the gutsy type method and things that really interconnect all different parts of a person, I think you're likely to see quicker, faster, better, stronger results because like if you were just to focus on the food and not the emotions or anything else, I don't think I like I could see how that would not uh, help people as much because because it's all connected so intricately. Well, and, and for myself, I lived that firsthand. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was I was on a diet for, you know, I don't I don't know how long I was on that diet for before I started yeah. So people who, yeah, people who are on diets and they think that, oh, I'll just, if I just do a diet, I'll solve my problems. Like, well, no, how, uh, what's going on in your life? What's, what's going on in your mind, your beliefs, your, your body, your emotions, as well as what are you eating? Like, it's not just the food. There's absolutely. Well, and, and one of the big mistakes that, that we tend to make is we think, oh, well, if I just take out gluten, then my problems are solved. And usually where that goes, because there's a reason why you're not digesting gluten, you know, and it, and it's, it's not because humans can't digest it. There are humans all over the world who digest gluten, you know, and it's, and, and absolutely. Is it, is it challenging to digest? It's, it's something that can be challenging to digest. Yes, for sure. And at the same time, we know from, from, for actually, this is a great example we know that if you want to have a strong body, you have to go and break down muscle and do hard things with your body, right? You don't, you're not going to have a strong body by sitting on the couch all day, right? So, you, so, so, so digesting gluten or, t- or taking some gluten, if, I mean, and I'm not suggesting like if a person is celiac, you're not going to take gluten, but you know, for any of us to say, oh, I've heard gluten's bad or my digestion's a little bit off. I should just take that out. Maybe yeah. if it just comes out of nowhere where did it come from? Yeah, exactly. So it's just like, oh, okay, well, maybe you need to go to the gut gym. And, and uh, d- does it mean that you're going to eat it 24 seven? Well, no, no more than you're going to go to the gym and pump iron for the entire day. You're not going to do that either. I think people get disappointed when they try to find simple solutions to complicated problems. Yes. And your health is not a simple matter. Well, nothing, like no. I said, nothing is, nothing is simple. So if you're looking for those one and done, one time fixes, go on this one diet for this many days and there it's all fixed or cut out gluten and my problem solved. It's more than likely not going to work. Yeah. And at the same time, I mean, I think one of the things again that I see with clients is that they'll, they come in and they're very daunted because 
they think they've tried so many things, but a lot of times what I hear is that they've the, the things that they've tried were maybe not all integrated or they were not targeted or, you know, like it was just like not exactly the right combination or, you know, maybe they went on a diet and they went to therapy, but, you know, was the therapy addressing any of the diet stuff? <laughs> that is a big question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. not and all so- therapy is good. No, it's not all it's not all good. And just like, just like all diets are not good. And at the same time, what I've noticed when my clients start to put all of these pieces together, is that it's actually like, I've, I've taken a lot of the complexity out of it by just saying, okay, do these things. Having the expert hot hand to, to guide you yes. really will pay off because it is such a complex problem. That's where you hire people like you to <laughs> help you through them. So that, that, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So speaking about your clients, uh, what's, what's kind of the one, the top complaint or number one problem that you see people coming to you most often uh, for help? You know, I think the absolute top complaint is bloating or like bloating and gas. And what's interesting is that that is actually one of the easier problems to solve. The, the types so, so we've talked, well, and I'll just talk about them in terms of the elements. So we talked about fire. That's the one that's kind of in the middle in terms of its complexity or, or in terms of its rootedness, I would say. We also talked about air and ether. That's vata. So, and I, I, I mean, I'm kind of like, yeah, she's <laughs> like, gesturing above her head. <laughs> I'm gesturing above my head because, because vata does tend to be high up in the mind. What's great about vata is that whatever we do to fix vata, it like vata goes back into balance very, very quickly. It doesn't always stay there. And one of the challenges of vata is that we have to keep doing the simple things, the little things that make a difference. And so um, one of the little things that makes a massive difference, I've actually given this to people who have not become my clients because they said, oh my gosh, this is a game changer. Is I tell them, drink a cup or two cups of boiled water 30 minutes before you eat. Boiled water. Boiled water. Obviously after it's cooled down, but. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to, you're not gonna drink it while it's boiling. (laughs) No. Just like you drink, you can drink it hot if you want to. So yeah, boiled warm water. Drink it warm. Yeah, exactly. Well, and actually this is an important thing too, is never drink cold water. Really? Yeah, I mean, and there there was a little caveat in there because I know you're a fire type, Emma. (laughs) so if it's 30 degrees and you're a fire type and you're overheated then you can drink cool water and it will help to cool down your body but you normally don't want to put I mean body temperature is what is it 37 degrees you don't want to put water from the fridge into your body and and into your gut because now basically you just chilled down your whole gut and now your body's got to work a whole bunch harder I have my filtered water and I fill it up and I put it in a container and it's always in the fridge because I love nice cold water. It's just so nice and refreshing. But I also do get bloated a lot too after after eating. Mm. Um, so, so that could be part of it. That yeah. could be part of it. So yeah, I, I'd love it if you would try that and let me know how I it would, works for I'll you. definitely experiment with that, yeah. Yeah, and the good thing about having, you know, two cups of boiled water 30 minutes before you eat, if you eat three times in a day, well, now you basically have almost entirely, that's almost all your water for the day. Mm -hmm. Two birds, one stone. Done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
or, or two, you, you fed two birds with one scone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I like to say. Yeah. I like that one better. Yeah. Yeah. I do too. And I love scones too. So yeah. Relates to the food thing. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> so looking back with your own health struggles, um, with, and, and before you founded the gutsy type method, uh, what do you think looking back now was like, was it a matter of genetics or, uh, like, I actually, I guess this is a two part question because with some of the digestive problems that people have, if it's something that's genetic, then it can't, there's not some really much they can do, um, versus if it's an emotional problem or whatever, whatever the other problem may, may be. But like, my question is, how do you address problems when they're genetic in someone? Like if they have a genetic issue that has to do with digestion and there's just no way around it. I, I love that question. A lot of times we think of genetics as being there's nothing you can do. But what we now know in science is that genes can either be switched on or switched off. And so when you're out of balance, those genes are going to be switched off or switched on, whatever the case might be. But if we want, if we want to reset that to a situation that's more favorable, well, then you, then you start to get those other little things in, back into balance and the emotions absolutely affect the genes. I've heard of that before, the turning on and off of genes. Um, yeah. I've read about that somewhere. So, cause I don't think many people think of it that way or know about that kind of. Yeah. And, and I mean, I've, I mean, I'd, I'll give you an example of, you know, one of my clients had IBS that was turning into Crohn's and her mother has Crohn's and we worked together and it was only a matter of weeks before she started to feel better. And what's interesting is that, I mean, even right from the beginning, she would say, oh yeah, my mom eats terribly. Now, well, there you go. So yeah, exactly. So it's just, you know, so we can't, we can't necessarily use bad genetics as a, as the excuse or the, the, as the reason, don't the say reason. it as the reason, because, and again, that's a thing that will install itself into our belief system. And then we continue to make the choices that cause us to embody that. So then looking back for you, was it, was it for, for you, was it a matter of genetics? Some of the issues that you were having health wise that, that you overcame or, or was it just what was going on in your life at the time? And if it's too personal, feel free to disclose whatever you want. Sure. Thank <laughs> just you. Just curious. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's an interesting question from this perspective, because one of the things that we do in Ayurveda is we look at, you know, what, what is your type, but one of the key indicators, I mean, what I'll say it this way, what happens for a lot of people is that we may have issues in childhood that we then learn to manage as adults and so one of the ways that we can really know for sure what type of person is, is by looking at what did they have in childhood? What kind, of, what kind of ailments showed up for them in childhood? So for me, one of my, my ailments that showed up in childhood, and it's, it's quite remarkable because like I, in, in terms of that tridoshic piece, and actually, okay, this is, I, I'm just getting a huge insight about myself right now. And I'm such a verbal processor. So there's different stages of life that relate as well. So kapha is the is the is basically the stage we're in in childhood until we hit puberty. And so when I was in the kapha stage of life, I had all kinds of kapha issues. So things like colds and I mean colds were the biggest one. I I ended up getting a cold every month and like respiratory allergies and all of that kind of stuff. And 
that was something that actually carried over into the pitta stage of life post-puberty. So even in through my teens, I still had a lot of like springtime allergies. I was just down for the count a lot of times. So it lingered, it, it carried through. Yeah, it carried yeah. through. So I had a lot of hay fever and stuff like that. And then again, as I cleared that, as, as I started to clear all the stuff out of my system, then, and sugar cravings also go with that. Sugar exacerbates all of that. Of course. And I also had a milk allergy that I didn't know about. So, and, and again, we could look at that and say, well, is that genetic or is that emotional? And in this case, I'm going to say it was emotional. Do you drink milk now? I can now. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't drink it. Like I never buy it and put it in the fridge and drink it. But if you had it today, you wouldn't have like a, a, a reaction to it. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I can go to the coffee shop and get a latte if I want. And I do. That's one of my treats. I don't have it every day, but it's one of my treats. And that's the thing too, is that I know that my system can tolerate a certain amount of it. And now you know that limit, whereas before maybe you had no... I, I Well, I couldn't tolerate it before. Right. You know, yeah. I, was, I was told by the naturopath that I went to at the time, don't even think about drinking lactate because she said, you're allergic to the protein in the milk. So, and I'm no longer like the last time I went and had my, my sensitivities tested, it didn't even show up as a sensitivity. Um, so yeah, we were talking about, about how things manifested for me and yeah, moving through those phases from the kapha to what was the second one? Uh, so the second one would be pitta. So the pitta stage of life is from, from like puberty through, you know, midlife. Interestingly, I'm realizing that, I, I mean, this whole time I've been thinking, oh, you know, because I'm tridoshic, I'm always managing the, the pitta end of the, or leg of the stool. But maybe that's because I'm still in the pitta stage of life. <laughs> and possibly as I go to the vata stage of life, I might be managing vata all the time, which is normal too. Yeah, natural progression. Yeah, exactly. There was something that I wanted to share about this too, around that that on that sort of metaphysical empathic intuitive topic because one of the things that I think also came up for me like around that time where it became so obvious to me that I couldn't keep eating sugar the way that I had been and I think it's because I mean I've got I'm I'm an empath I've got all these in, a highly highly intuitive person but in childhood we there's not always a venue for those things and, and, and I, my family is pretty open. It's not like they, they poo-pooed it or said, you know, no, that doesn't exist. They, they never tried to say that. But, you know, as, as a child, it's like people just don't always listen to kids the way they listen to themselves or their you know, adults are always in their own realm. And actually, I was thinking about this. I was in, in university. I was voted the person most likely to run off and join a cult <laughs> because I was just, you know, I was just intuitive. But one of these things that I think informed the fact that I couldn't keep eating sugar all the time, I believe that the sugar was something that I was using to kind of suppress all of that. Mm, to keep it in check. To kind keep of it or... in check. Yeah. So that it wouldn't be this overwhelming thing where it's like I'm seeing I am seeing the world through these eyes and I can't not see what I'm seeing. It's always like that to a degree. The reason I think the reason why it sort of came to a head and I could just no longer tolerate it and I had to stop eating it altogether for a while was because it was time for me to start using those gifts. Yeah. Cuz I guess having those gifts it can be a lot when you're 
intuitive and empathic because you just tune into everything, whether you want to or not. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and for myself, I can say that there were there was a lot that I was kind of like, well, I mean, every every kid goes, oh, there's the elephant in the room that we're all not talking about, or maybe there's a whole family of elephants. <laughs> and so so it was t- in in that sense, because that that happened when I was in that early adulthood stage, it's like, well, it's time to bring those elephants out for myself, right? And start to look at them and and deal with them in the way that I was going to deal with them. And sugar was the gatekeeper. Sugar was the gatekeeper for the elephants. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about you being a flamenco guitarist. Sure. So how... I mean, I know you already kind of said that you were classically trained and um, you that's how you kind of got into it. But what, what, how come, why flamenco? Flamenco for me was, it was like, I would describe it as a trail of breadcrumbs. I got my first guitar when I was eight and it was a nylon string guitar, which is what they use for flamenco. And I, you know, being here in Canada, we don't, wasn't exposed to it people often ask me well you know is your family Spanish it's like no we're not but there was just always this this feeling like oh I was was always searching for something when I was 14 my mom took me to a concert of Leona Boyd who is like a Canadian guitar icon and I remember thinking oh that's it's kind of it but that's not quite it (laughs) so but I I agreed to study classical guitar because it was kind of like what I wanted over time, I, I mean, and my grandmother on the other side of the family uh, was a jazz aficionado. And um, so, of course, just like I was going to run into Ayurveda with the yoga, playing a nylon string guitar with a jazz aficionado in my family, I was going to run across flamenco. And when I did, it was just like, like, I have goosebumps right now, even just thinking about it again. It's just like, it was the perfect marriage. It was like being in love. It was like, and I, I remember this album that she got for me. There was this one track and I go, I'm just going to listen to it one more time before I go to bed. And I go and (laughs) I would listen to it and then I could not sleep. (laughs) So much for that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Wow. So it was uh, inevitable. It was inevitable. And it was a thing that when I, when I hit upon it, it was, it just brought me such a feeling of aliveness that you know, it was, it was one of those, those things that just rocked my world so solidly that there was no way I was not going to do it. So what a what a great love story. (laughs) It it really has been. been. (laughs) Yeah. Um, What other creative disciplines do you work in? Because I think you're also an author. I am. I'm a published author now. And, uh, and I'm writing a book. Oh, another book. Awesome. Yeah, another. Well, I mean, the first book was a was a compilation, so I contributed a chapter to it. The book you're writing now is your own. Is it a novel or is it like a? It's it's um it's all about gut health. Of course, of course, yeah, it is. of course. And and <laughs> I have another one that's like you know brewing in the background too. I'm already taking notes for it, and it's all about relationships and numerology. And the book that you contributed to, how did that come about? That one, I mean, you know how it is on social media. You meet all kinds of people. And actually, the, the, the publisher of that book, I had met her in person before we were connected on social. She's got her own publishing company, and she's a, a writing mentor. And she was putting together this compilation. And 
there was a post on Facebook that I saw about it. And I just thought, well, of course I want to do that because I want to get a sense of what that process is like. I mean, as a guitarist, I, you know, wrote and arranged and recorded an album. So I kind of know how the creative process works and like to originate work. It's just a different medium. Yeah, just a different medium. Exactly. Exactly. So speaking of the creative process, actually, what, uh, do you have a process? Like anything you kind of do to get into the zone of creativity? So coming back to the numerology thing, the, the system that I follow, my particular numerology pattern is one of the most creative types in the world. So I, I, I mean, and this is, this is, I believe this is true. We don't actually have to, none of us have to, like, we're all creative. Everybody is creative. We are going to create in the positive or we're going to create in the negative. And so I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Brene Brown talks about this. Yeah. Right. So it's like every, every, if you think of it, if you think of it as everything you do in your life is a creation. Yes. Every single thought you think is a creation it can be negative or positive and yeah, it can have different you effects to, you want to become a good gatekeeper just because that word popped back in yeah. <laughs> our conversation so it's relevant <laughs> yeah so but the the one thing that i would say is that i'm a, a morning and evening meditator now that i've got my health back when i'm on my game i'll sleep five or six hours a night but I don't necessarily, that doesn't necessarily translate into working 12 hour days for me, but it does translate into morning and evening meditation. And I, I just do that naturally. I, it's not like I get out of bed and go sit on a cushion. A lot of times I do meditation as I call it. <laughs> uh, I, I can get behind that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and then also one of the things that I've noticed for myself is if I don't do my evening meditation, then whatever is undigested from the day will come back and wake me up at an hour that's not suitable. So I have to do, I just, I have to just like sit and come down and process the day in whatever way. And it's looks sometimes it's journaling. Sometimes it's writing. It usually, it's usually at least a few minutes of sitting and being very quiet and getting back into. And, and do you find in those moments, med the meditative moments that you uh, are come up with creative ideas yes yes yeah. um this is where um well the numerology and relationships thing that showed up like first thing one morning as I was waking up and and because I give myself time for those ideas like it's it's not just like oh now I have to get up and get in the shower I might have missed that and it's a whole book that just from waking up <laughs> just just from waking up and being present to what what is there we are kind of running out of time, but now I, now I want to ask you about numerology. <laughs> right. Well, we can talk about that after the podcast is over, if you like. <laughs> oh, sure. Absolutely. So I guess my last question for you then uh, would be, where can people find find you online uh, if they want to work with you? And I know I'm going to put the links on the bottom, of course, but um, and do you have any upcoming offers or anything you want to promote? Yeah, actually. Uh, okay. So first of all, if people want to find me um, on my website, you can either search biggutsylife.com. That's my, my Ayurveda site. And all of my free offers are on there. Well, okay, not all of them, but like there's the bulk of them are. The Gutsy Type Quiz is on there. I do either a webinar or a challenge. I do something almost every month. And so uh, the next thing that I'm promoting, there's actually something coming up in just over like a, about a week and a half 
that is um, it's it's just a workshop. It's a gutsy type workshop. So you know that's an opportunity for people to do the quiz. And again, that's on my site, or you can just go straight to gutsytypequiz.com and take the quiz. And then we do the workshop uh, where you can ask more questions about it and learn more about it or learn this, this time we're going to be talking about the, the fall season. If there's someone who's listening to this down the road, we'll be talking about the spring season, I'm sure. So it's, so that's an ongoing, it's workshop. an ongoing workshop. And I offer that several times a year. And then I'm, I've also got uh, a five day challenge that's coming up later this fall. And I do that a couple times a year as well. People can just come and and take the quiz you're gonna I'll, I'll make sure that you get an invitation so so that's that's that whole piece if you're interested in my work as a guitarist you can just go hollyblazina.com or the other thing you can do if you'd like to listen to my album it's on all the platforms so you can go on spotify or apple music or google play whatever you listen to and uh, just search for my name and you'll find my album which is transcendencia what does that mean? It means transcendence. Oh, transcendence. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to find a word that was kind of half Spanish, half English. <laughs> yeah. No, that's beautiful. I love it. Okay. Awesome. Um, so I guess I lied. My really last question is, before you go, what advice can you give our listeners today for living a wild, creative life? You know, that was, it's such a good question. Um, the first thing I want to say is commit to it. Because there can be all the reasons why we don't. And we think they're good reasons at the time, but they're actually not. They're, you know, like the, the, the and, and I mean, you, you and I know as, as entrepreneurs that when somebody comes and says, oh, I don't have the time or I don't have the money or I'm too busy or whatever. That's just because you're not creating at the highest level. You, you as the entrepreneur. You as the entrepreneur, uh, you as the entrepreneur or, or you as the person who's making the reason that, making up the reason that it's about the money or it's about the time I can say for myself, anytime I've been absolutely clear on what I wanted to create and I was committed to doing it. And I mean, there were times when I did not have the money and there were times when I sat down and like had a good long talk with the universe and said, Hey, look, if you want me to do this, like I'm not going to Spain to study when I don't know how my house is going to be paid for so this needs to get solved <laughs> and it's like the solution comes and it came and it didn't mean that I had every last detail sorted out before I went and did it. And that's the thing too, right? Is when you're committed and you, it's, it's, it's like, you can see that, okay, there's a gap there. Go ahead and leap because the net will appear if, if you're committed and if you, if you're, if you're wholehearted and if you're all in. So I, I think that I, that's probably, you know, like I'm, there's nothing wrong with asking life to support you. Yeah. Putting out that energy and yeah, seeing yeah. what comes back. I, I don't know if you listen to Brene Brown at all. I, I brought her name up earlier because I was thinking about her. I do a little. So one of the things that she says is that the people who believe they're worthy of love and belonging are the ones who tend to have love and belonging in their lives. And the ones who think they're not worthy of love and belonging tend not to have it. And I think it's the same thing with our dreams. You know, if we believe that we're worthy of following our dreams, then we're going to do it. Yeah. You, you attract what you put out. Yes. Yes. And, and if you're finding that there's a block, then it's because there's something probably not at the conscious level. There's something that you need to shine, you know, you need to shine a light a little bit deeper to go, well, what's actually going on here? 
Mm-hmm. Some deeper digging. Deeper digging is required. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, which is almost always the case. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting because I've noticed for myself whenever I've been curious about something and whenever I've been hungry for knowledge and I approach it with that open, hungry curiosity and I'm not trying to like put it into a box, I I have been abundantly supported. I can relate to that too, actually. Right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and so that's something that I would say to a person too. If you feel like you're blocked in one area of your life, look at the areas of your life where you're abundantly supported and use that as a template. Good advice. Well, thank you so much, Holly, for joining me on Wild Creative today. It's been really insightful and enlightening. Oh, thank you, Emma. And thank you so much for having me here. It was a pleasure. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you again to Holly Blazina for giving us a look into the interesting crossover between physical health, intuition, and creativity. All the links that Holly mentioned are in the show notes below. If you're enjoying the podcast overall, please do rate and review. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, share, all the things that help get it out there. I really do appreciate it. If you have any questions, comments, or topic ideas for future episodes, or want to be a guest on the podcast, please email me at emmakivetna at gmail.com. Otherwise, until we meet again, stay wild, stay creative.